0: Amen. Father, thank you for the hope that we have that our life is hid with Christ in the heavens with you. Thank you for this hope that you give us uh, anchor of our soul because Christ is there as our forerunner, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Lord, <clears throat> for this salvation these gospel truths, the promises that we have of salvation, and one day in being with you in glory, we look forward to that day. We even uh, pray that uh, you would uh, continue to fill our hearts with these truths, continue to cause us to grow in our our love and appreciation for the gospel and for Christ and for the hope we have. We pray that you would encourage your people now as we open up your book, speak to us, give us our food, nourish us through. Uh, these truths, and Lord, help us to grow in our understanding and, and clarity of sight into your final word, your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, brothers and sisters. And uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me again to uh, the book of Hebrews. This morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to finish up Hebrews 7 today. Hebrews seven eleven through 28. And so it's a pretty long section and uh, it's, uh, we, it's just so rich in detail. Uh, <clears throat> we have all, um, we're going to be almost flying through it though. Uh, so, But uh, hopefully as uh, Bereans you can uh, go home and uh, look to the scriptures and make sure that these are, um, that you understand these truths and uh, that you meditate upon them, and <clears throat> for such uh, truths are are they're heavy. They're theologically rich, uh, but they are given for a very practical purpose, in which we'll see this morning. So, hopefully, you're there. Hebrews chapter seven, verse eleven through twenty-eight is where we're going to be. As we've sung in our songs, as we've been studying of in the last few. Uh, sermons on in hebrews we have been talking about our hope the hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ it's a hope that is especially in the midst of trials it's when we need that hope hope helps us to to li- to look forward to the future hope hope helps us to 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 live really without hope we we really are lost and yet sometimes when trials continue on for, uh, for a while and there seems to be no end for, to those trials, it's at those times that our hope that is in Christ, it, it begins to waver and it can waver. And we, we may start wondering if perhaps the Lord has somehow forgotten us. Maybe we've thought that the Lord has even forsaken us. Or we may be wondering if the Lord really cares. And it's for those moments that we need the message of Hebrews. We need this book of Hebrews. We need to be reminded of our hope in Christ. Back in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 of the Hebrews, we had read how the author of Hebrews reminded them of the recipients of this hope. In Hebrews six nineteen to 20, we read this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered, as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The readers then of Hebrews and the readers now of Hebrews are reminded of how in Christ we have a sure and steadfast hope and anchor of our souls because Jesus has entered into God's very presence. He's gone beyond the veil, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That is what the scriptures teach us. Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. There's that phrase that we've been repeating uh, over uh, for a while now. It's in this little theological truth that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek is why you and I have a hope that is forever. It's why we have a hope in the midst of trials that seem to have no end. In chapter 7, the author elaborates on how Jesus as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek makes him a better priest than even the Levitical priests. Jesus is better than any religious leader that you may turn to. He is better than the priests whom were elevated in the, in the eyes of all Jewish people. He is better than the prophets who spoke the word of God who are greatly esteemed by the Jewish people. He is greater, better than the apostles and even the pastor's teachers. Last week in studying chapter 7, verse 1 to 10, we had observed two aspects of Melchizedek that made his priesthood, as well as Jesus' priesthood, whom Melchizedek is a type of, that we learned that the Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Today's passage really continues this similar argument, how the Melchizedek priesthood, or really Jesus' priesthood, is greater than the Levitical priesthood. In it, we learn, then, the reason for why you and I ought to hold on to Jesus. Because we have a hope of G- in Christ, who is our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so we're going to look at some theologically detailed sections, and we might not all catch all of it. Uh, sometimes, even as we study, you know, um, the author does say that you, we, we, sometimes we're not ready for it because we're kind of dull of hearing. We're not mature yet. Uh, but hopefully, as much as the Lord will encourage you and, and teach you this morning, that it will, you will take one or two or three of these little uh, points and be encouraged in hope, holding on to your hope in Jesus Christ. As an outline today, we're gonna to look at seven points. Seven points. I haven't had one of these in a while. Seven further reasons that Jesus' priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And the practical truth, of course, is that. And that's why we hold on to Jesus. Okay, that's why we hold it. So seven further reasons that Jesus' priesthood has according to the order of Melchizedek, is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And we're going to look at seven points. The first point that we see in this passage in chapter 7, verse 11 to 12, and particularly verse 11 12, is that we learn that the Levitical priesthood did not perfect. The Levitical priesthood did not perfect. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7 with me. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Now much of Hebrews, if you haven't been with us, is... uh, is, uh, is completely uh, familiar to a J- people of Jewish background, for, for many many of us who are not jewish background, many of these things as even as read that, even as I read it the first time, I thought, "Wow, I'm not sure I completely grasp what what this is talking about, even the significance of this." But the Levitical priesthood, of course, is was the religious leaders of their day. They're the they're the main religious, the primary religious. It's it's almost, <clears throat> and they esteem them as as much as well, maybe as much as you esteem. Me, as a pastor of, of this church. Something that you would say, well, the, every church needs pastors, and there's other pastors and elders of the church, and, you, and there's a certain level of esteem and honor you, re, re, you recognize that God uses them in the church to encourage us in our faith. Well, the priests had that role in, in Israelite uh, history. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones from this Levitical priesthood were those who came the scribes. These were the ones who taught them the word of God. These were the ones who carried out the law for them. Their whole religious life was, was facilitated through these priests and especially the high priest. And though these priests were so vital in the religious worship For the Jewish believers or for the Jewish uh, uh, people, the Levitical priesthood did not, really, never perfected anyone. It never brought anyone to perfection. Now, what does this word perfection mean? It means to basically put someone in the position where, in which he can come or stand before God. It gets them in that place where they have a, they have a, that, that state where they have. An access to God because of a right relationship with him. That they can approach him because he is holy and we are unholy. And so to to arrive at perfection is to be in that place where you have a right relationship that allows you to access him. Now the Levitical priesthood with all its rituals and sacrifices and rules could not bring anyone to perfection. No one because of the priesthood could ever actually access God's presence. At best, the Levitical priesthood pointed to the need for another greater priesthood. That, of course, would be of, of Jesus, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Another priest was needed because of the inadequacy of the Levitical priesthood to bring people to perfection. Even as we look at these verses, there's another thing that we observe in this text is that there's this relation between the law and the Levitical priesthood. And there's a kind of a... Um, Interchangeableness between the law and the Levitical priesthood. The law we understand is in the laws where we find the rules and commandments of God that establish the priesthood. But at the same time, here as we, as the author mentions, it's on the basis of this law of or of the priesthood that people receive the law. These priests were the ones who were responsible to teach them the law or to help them carry out the law. Without the priests, they couldn't <clears throat> offer the sacrifice rituals <clears throat> necessary for the fulfillment of the law that would bring about the promise of forgiveness or blessings from God. So the law and the Levitical priesthood are, it, are kind of entwined, as we see. And such that with the new priesthood would come a new law, or rather we sometimes call it a new Covenant. Chapter 8 verse 7 says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. That's why God, even in the Old Testament, even in the midst of so much of the carrying out of the Old Covenant, talks about a new covenant where he would write his law on their hearts. He would forgive them of their sins. And it's because... Christ, the Levitical priesthood did not perfect, but Christ's priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, does perfect that along with this new priesthood, there comes a a new law. That's why we no longer under the law of Moses, because we have a new priest in Jesus. And whereas the old covenant priesthood never perfected anyone so that they could have access to God, unrestricted access to God, the new covenant priest Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 14, later on we'll say this, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We move on. So we learn that the Levitical priesthood did not perfect, but Jesus' priesthood did. Secondly, in verse 13 to 14, we'll see that the Levitical priesthood did not descend from Judah. Did not descend from Judah. This verse 13, For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated out the altar for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. First again, this seems kind of not very familiar to us if we're not Jewish people, but I think we know enough about our our Bible that we kind of say, oh, there's something significant about this tribe of Judah. But the new priesthood, as we learn in these verses, would not be according to the order of Levi. It would not be according to the tribe of Levi, which all priests were up to this point. Only Levites could serve as priests. Only Levites could serve even anything, anywhere near the temple. But even more specifically, only descendants of Levi's son Aaron could officiate at the altar. Only they could carry out the sacrifices. But as you know, our Lord Jesus was not a Levite. He was not but he was from the tribe of Judah. Now if you think about the law as uh, the scriptures tell us here that Moses spoke nothing concerning priests from the tribe of Judah. Nowhere does it state anywhere in the law of Moses where uh, the the priests would be from the tri- there would be certain priests who would probably be from the tribe of Judah. So where did the Israelites learn about the priests from the tribe of Judah? We thank God for uh, Psalm 110. For it is Psalm 110, which our pastor Roger preached a couple weeks back. We see that it is there that we see that the priest, there would be a priest who is according to the, or be of the tribe of Judah. We'll see it quoted a little later in verse 17 and verse 21 of our text. But in David's Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110, the Lord said to David's Lord, that would be the Messiah, that he would be a priest forever forever. According to the order of Melchizedek, actually, let me correct that. He doesn't say, you would be a priest forever. He tells them, he is a priest forever. Implying that he is alive even then as he spoke it. He is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Messianic priest king that we saw in Psalm 110 would not be from the tribe of Levi, but from the David's tribe. He would be one of David's descendants. He would be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He would be, therefore, from the tribe of Judah. It is the only place in the Old Testament where we see this particular prophecy of a priest who would be from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is this Messianic priest, king from the tribe of Judah. It means that he's not only a priest, but he would also be a king. And where the two officers are combined, and we saw this a little bit last week as well. And his priesthood is the greater priesthood because he brings these offices of priest and king together. Thirdly, the Levitical priesthood or why Jesus' priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood, is because the Levitical priesthood is not indestructible. Is not indestructible. Verse 15 to 17. And this is clearer still. If another priest according, arises according to likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, not on the basis of a law, of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Levitical priests we learn here served because they sat they were, or were qualified to serve because they satisfied some requirement. In this case, it was a it was a physical requirement of the law, namely that they had to be descended from the tribe of Levi. But Levi, but there was even more. They had to be without blemish, without any physical defects. Even when they would serve, they had to be wear certain clothing and they had to be washed in certain ways. And so there were certain requirements, physical requirements of the Levitical priests. But the prophesied priest who would come according to the order of Melchizedek would be qualified in a different manner according to the scripture here. He would be qualified according to the power of an indestructible life. That is by the power of an indestructible life, by the demonstration that his life is indestructible that he cannot be destroyed. That would qualify him to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. His is a life that cannot be brought to an end. It's like those birthday candles that keep relighting, you know? His life persists, persists even when you kill him. This, of course, refers to Jesus' resurrection. Many of us know. It's because though he died at the hands of men, he, di- he did not remain in the grave. But on the third day, he rose and he's alive. As Peter preached on, Acts, on Pentecost in Acts 2.23-24, these words. He said, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and for knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This man, this priest, is indestructible. Grave, The grave could not hold him it's because he is God's son. Christ's life was indestructible. Though he was killed, he rose, and that qualified him to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You and I, as the Church of Jesus Christ, do not have to fear or worry about ever being overwhelmed or overcome by evil in the world. Because our great high priest is indestructible. He is bulletproof, he is fireproof, and he has proven it by being deathproof. Death could not contain him. The grave could not contain him. Just as God had prophesied through David, you are a priest forever. Are, present tense, not you will be. You are already a priest forever. Even at this moment, of that statement of that, that was in 1000 BC, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's how great Christ's priesthood is because he is indestructible. Unlike the Levitical priesthood. Fourthly, we look in verse 18 and 19 that Jesus' priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood did not draw people near to God. The Levitical priesthood did not draw people near to God, it's similar very much to this, the first point where it did not perfect, but here we see this focus on drawing people, on the results of perfection is that you would draw people to God. Verse eighteen and nineteen. For on the one hand, there is setting aside of a former commandment, because of because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there was a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. <clears throat> the former commandment that's mentioned in verse eighteen. Uh, the one that is set aside is a reference to the Levitical priesthood it's a reference that's the commands regarding the Levitical priesthood that is being set aside. Verse tells us verse 18 furthermore tells us that it is set aside because of its weakness, because of its uselessness. That's something that would be almost very surprising to any uh, Jewish ba- background person to say to speak of these commandments regarding the priests these what you mean we don't need priests anymore? It's shocking. It's, like, it's almost a bit shocking to say, "Oh, you don't need pastors anymore," you know, or you don't need uh, leaders of Christ's church anymore. But these, these, all the commands regarding the priesthood were basically set aside because the liturgical priesthood was shown to be weak and useless. It was revealed for the, and then the law made nothing perfect. They they were not able to make anyone perfect. The laws, commands regarding priests made, brought no one to perfect, no, despite the Despite all the sacrifices made, the rituals observed, the commandments followed, none of it ever made anyone right before God. No one was ever transformed in their hearts through the Levitical priesthood. No one ever had their sins actually removed as far as the east is from the west because of the, any ritual or commandment that was followed according to the priests. At best, there was only the temporary covering for one's sins. The law had really the effect of showing to God's people their own sinfulness and how much they fall short. And though they offer sacrifices that temporarily cover their sins, they even then they could not access God. The sacrifices, especially those on the day of atonement, reminded Israel that they did not have access to God. The, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the one day of the year where all of Israel gathers together to draw near to God, and everyone's waiting outside. Everyone. And only one person gets to go in. He alone goes into the holy, most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And before he does that, he has to put on the right garment. He has to cleanse himself. He has to offer sacrifices for his sins. Follow all the rules and then he goes in and offers sins, sacrifices for the, his, for the people and himself. And that was the best that the law and the Levitical priesthood could bring so that the people could have access to God. That was the best it could do once a year. He was their God. But in their sinfulness, they could not draw near to him. But Jesus, our high priest, brings a better hope for those who believe in him. His priesthood succeeded where the old priesthood failed. His death and resurrection perfected those who believe in him. He removed their sins from them as far as the east is from the west. He transformed their hearts so that they would have the spirit and the law God written in them. So in Jesus, believers can actually draw near to God. We have access to God the Father through the one who is seated at his right hand, Jesus, our Savior. We have free access to him because our priest is at the right hand of the Father, this new priest who is able to draw people near to God. We don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a pastor to access God, we all, through faith in Jesus, have direct access to God the Father. And that's why later, earlier in Hebrews, the author wrote these, this word, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And the significance of this, that we have such a high priest, there is therefore, verse 16, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we encounter various trials, brothers and sisters, when there seems to be no end, when we start asking how long, when our hope begins to waver, we must remember what kind of high priest we have. We have a high priest who saves us And we, therefore, in him, we have confidence to the throne of grace where we can find mercy, we can find grace in our times of need. Fifthly, the Levitical priesthood is... uh, Christ's priesthood is great in the Levitical priesthood because the Levitical priesthood was not accompanied by an oath. Verse 20 through 22, we read this. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath for they indeed became priests without an oath but he with an oath through the one who said to him the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever so much the more also jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant this uh, idea of an oath is reintroduced here at this point it, it sounds familiar to you because we read about it back in chapter 6 verse 13 to 18 of how God wanted to show that, that he was going to keep his promises to Abraham. And so with, not only did he promise to Abraham that he would keep his promise, but he did so by making an oath, by swearing that, I swear to keep And that was a common practice. It was a accommodation to, to, uh, to the humans, uh, to Abraham, because that was how people made their promises back then. They would swear to something greater than themselves. But we see that with regards to the Levitical priesthood, when it was established it was not accompanied by any oath. It was, accompanied by the, it was established by the word of God, no doubt. That's what the law does. And that, and that alone is sufficient. But with regard to the Melchizedek priesthood, or Jesus' priesthood, that was prophesied in Psalm 110, it was actually accompanied by an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Of course, it, he didn't, God did not need to swear. His promise is enough. But the fact that he swear, writes down that he swears and will not change his mind makes an oath, it gives a sense that this is a, a certainty to human readers. And there's an the oath, and the oath is that he would keep his promise, that he, the son, the, the messianic king would be a priest forever. Jesus' priesthood would be established forever. It would, it would be by the very word of God that the priesthood of this priest-king would never come to an end. It would be established forever, just as his throne would also be established forever according to the covenant. The fact that the Levitical priesthood was established without an oath, it seems to have an implication then that it would not always be around. But the fact that the Jesus priesthood is established was accompanied by an oath would give the sense then that it would always be around. It would never come to an end. The Levitical priesthood, though given by God, established for a time, would only serve for a limited period of time in the history of God's people. And then when it, it would come to an end, when the new priesthood would come in, and that would be, of course, the priesthood of Jesus. And that's why Jesus' priesthood being accompanied by an oath is a greater priesthood. For it would last and that's what we see in the sixth point. The Levitical priesthood is not permanent. Whereas Jesus' priesthood is. Verse 23 to 25 The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand because he continues forever holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore he is able to also, to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. The political priests we read here were numerous. There was plenty of them. There was a lot of them. They had a greater numbers than the single priesthood of Jesus. They were numerous because they all died. Their death, they would all face death, and then others would be needed to serve as priests. That was the, in order to fulfill the law. And yet, many of them were, would only serve for a period of time, and then they would be prevented from continuing because they would, as finite creatures, die. But Jesus, on the other hand, continues forever as a priest. He continues on because he, he is alive. He's risen from the grave. He is indestructible. His resurrection allows him to serve permanently as our priest. No one has ever needed to replace him because he doesn't die. He will never die again. Jesus is a priest who never checks out. He never takes a break. He never goes on vacation. He is our permanent high priest. And because of this, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. If you draw near to God through faith in Christ He will save you. He is able also to save you forever. He will not quit on you. He will not forsake you. He will not say that you're too much trouble or you're not worth it. He will save you. For he is your high priest. Whatever you're facing, he will save you through it. He will give you mercy and grace strengthening you in the trial, sanctifying your soul to make you more like Christ. He's bringing the work that he began in you to completion through your trials. For he has triumphed over the grave and therefore he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. What is he They're interceding at the right hand of God the Father doing? He's interceding for on behalf of us. When we sin and Satan go, the accuser goes before him and says, that person, look, he, he or she, she sinned again. That person does not deserve your mercy. And our Savior is there, our priest is there interceding for us. says, they may not deserve mercy, but I have died for this one. And there is also the aspect of he's interceding for us when in the midst of trials and we cry out for, for mercy and grace, he's there at the Father's right hand. He's the son of the king. He's the son of the heavenly father. And through him, we have access to the heavenly father. It's like, it's, it's better than knowing the president's son. Okay? It's, you have that kind of access because you know the son of God. God's son. And you can go to that father anytime. His priesthood is permanent. Lastly and seventhly, We learn that the Levitical priesthood is not sinless. And Jesus' priesthood is sinless. Verse 26-28 For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Our high priest, as we learn here, is the sinless son of God. And as that, he is holy, he is innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. It just completely describes one who is perfectly... A free of sin, There's, he is perfectly good and righteous. There's nothing wicked or evil about him. He is a good high priest. And you think about all the high priests in that day. Even by and by this time, the priesthood became it was a very political position uh, as well. And uh, even among the priests, the Levitical priests, they would jockey to try to become the next high priest. It was a it was a position of power in uh, New Testament Jerusalem uh, Israel. But our high priest, Jesus, is the sinless Son of God. He is above those kinds of things. In fact, he, is, he took on human flesh and humility. He was in his humanity tempted in all ways that in all the ways that we are, yet he did not sin. And he was without sin. So in his priesthood, he never had to do what the Levitical priests had to do. It's, not, it's, it's why he never has to do exactly what do because without a single exception, the Levitical priests were all sinners, every single one of them. There was no one ever who said, well, I don't have any sins, so I don't have to offer sins for myself before I offer sins, sacrifice for myself before I offer sacrifice to the people. And so as the, those priests carried out their tasks, they would always have to offer up sacrifice for their own sins as well. And what's more, they always had to make the sacrifices daily. Daily is not because, just because God commanded it, because daily they sinned. Daily they fell short. But Jesus, because he had no sin, never had to offer any sacrifice for himself. He only needed to offer a sacrifice for the people whom he's dying for. And thus he did by offering up himself. He did this once for all. Only one time he needed to do it. He didn't have to do it daily because he was the sinless Son of God. His sacrifice, his single payment of his own life, was the infinite payment that covered all the sins. Of the world, Hebrews ten eleven to twelve. We, we read this. Every priest uh, later on we'll study this stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He was finished. Well, that picture we looked at that before earlier in the in the book. Whenever Jesus, this picture of Jesus sitting down because. His work's done. He doesn't have to do a single thing again. As we finish up in chapter 7, verse 28, summarize really all that has been said. The Levitical priesthood that is established by the law appoints high priests who are weak and sinful. But the Melchizedekian priesthood, Jesus' priesthood, which was established by an oath of God, appoints a high priest who is God's perfect son. And so therefore, he only has to offer one sacrifice for all. And so with that, we return to the introduction of Hebrews, even recognizing, remembering that God has spoken his final word, his last and final word that we need for to, for his per, to, uh, to bring about his plan of salvation, his final word that is in his son, and his son, after accomplishing what he, uh, his work on the cross and raising, rising from the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He's seated. And that tells us all that we need. He's he's done. Nothing more is needed to save us forever. This priest has done it all. He has done it all. He's much better than the Levitical priests or any person or any place or anything that we may ever be tempted to turn our thoughts upon. For we have Jesus our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. We've seen through our seven points today how the Levitical priesthood falls short. It falls short when compared to Jesus' priesthood. For Jesus' priesthood, we learn, in contrast, the Levitical priesthood is the one that perfects those who turn in faith to him. It's a priesthood that descends from Judah. It's a priesthood that would be in the line of the king. It's a priesthood that is indestructible. It cannot be destroyed. Death cannot overcome it. It's a priesthood that draws people near to God through faith in him, in, in Jesus. Fifthly, it was a, it's a priesthood that was accompanied by an oath. It's a priesthood that will never fade. It's because it's forever according to God's promise, and it's permanent. And lastly, it's a priesthood that is sinless. And because it's sinless, he could therefore offer up himself once for all. Never having to offer any more sins or sacrifice because he doesn't have any sin. And his payment is enough to cover your sins and mine. Though you and I still sin daily. We fall short. So we can trust in him and we can hold on to Jesus, our high priest. I conclude with a couple of questions just for us now to think about, before we meditate this week. Um, first of all, what aspect of Jesus priesthood we looked at seven of them. Some of them are more kind of will kind of jump out at you more than some others. But what aspect of Jesus priesthood encourage you in your life today? How do you think about that? we just thinking about going through each of the seven to compare it with the scriptures and say this: is it. Well, how does that encourage you in your life today? And then, secondly, as you consider your walk with the Lord, are you drawing near to Him? Are you drawing near to God through him, or are you drifting away from God? You know, Jesus' priesthood came so that we can draw near to God, but are we doing that, or are we drifting? And then if we're drifting, uh, ask yourself the third question, really. What is what is tempting you to drift away from Christ? What might be tempting you to drift away from Christ? And then consider again, always going back to looking to Jesus. And then we get finally, eventually, we're going to, <laughs> See, it's always looking back to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How does whatever that's tempting you away from Christ, consider again, look again at Christ, meditate upon who he is, and can as hopefully as you compare him to the Son, especially as in light of the scriptures, encourage you to hold fast to Jesus. With that, let's close in prayer before we sing a song, our final song. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for this... Uh, This doctrine of Jesus' priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. It's a mouthful for us, Lord. But your word speaks it. Your word goes into detail about it. And so Lord, we've striven to understand it. Lord, I've striven to proclaim it. Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to grasp it. That you would sharpen our minds, our ears, to hear what your word has to say, that we would understand the purpose of this, the significance of Christ's priesthood, so that we would hold on to our hope that we have in Christ. That whatever trials we face, and that we would not be tempted to fall away, but that you would help us to draw even closer to you through Christ, to seek the mercy and grace that you so freely give us because we have such a high priest. And that, Lord, you would cause us to draw even closer to you and hold on tighter to Jesus, to hold on to him because he, because of him we have a hope. The anchor of our soul is sure, steadfast hope. We I pray that especially you be with your people today who are in our room, who are struggling, who are facing trials that seem to have no end. They're asking how long. They're wondering if you've forgotten them or even forsaken them. Lord, may you remind them that you have not, that you've given them your son, and through him, they may have the confidence to boldly approach your throne and find the peace and grace that they need. Lord, sustain them, sustain all of us until you bring us home. And Lord, may you do your work in each of our lives, making us more like Christ, perfecting us until the day of Christ Jesus. These things we pray, Lord, for the building up your body so that we might be equipped to be your salt and light in our world so that others, too, may join us in worship and praise of our creator, God. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.